Before we get started, I want to thank Anthropology for supporting our podcast. Hello there, I'm Julie Vadnall, Deputy Editor of Domino, and this is Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that we interviewed some of the biggest names in interior design. But this season, I'm doing things a little differently. I'm going to be talking to rebels, the -the out-of-the-box thinkers who put their creative stamps on our world, whether they work in design, fashion, or even food. After all, you don't have to paint a room all black to be a rebel, though I think that'd be super cool. Some of us engage in tiny acts of resistance every day, and that counts too. Each week, I'll talk to a new guest, a rebellious one, if you will, about how they turn off the doubting voices in their heads and how you can find your only you style. Let's do this. Today's guests, yes, we have a twofer, are true icons. One is a recipe developer who reinvented what a cookbook could be with her book, Cook This Book. I'm a huge fan. There's a salmon recipe that has potato chips on top. It's unreal. Um, And her husband is a creative director and a spatial designer who's worked for brands you may have heard of like Nike, the North Face, and even Yeezy Gap. And together, they're a total power couple. They recently designed their own food-themed home, yes, in Los Angeles. I'm thrilled to have today's guests here. It's Molly Boz and Ben Willett. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Hi. Hello. Um, We start a little unconventionally just because this is a rebel podcast. Um, But if you guys could just say your names and say, hi, I'm Molly Boz and I am a rebel blank. And then Ben, if you could do the same. Hi, I'm Molly Boz, and I am a rebel when it comes to loading the dishwasher. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Explain. What I mean by that is I was taught the proper way to load a dishwasher. Like, I know there is a right way and a wrong way, and I, for some reason, get a lot of pleasure out of doing it the wrong way and just kind of throwing stuff in there. My name is Ben Willett, and I'm a career rebel, but... For a long time, I was told to go into agencies, to go work at a brand, get a bunch of experience underneath my belt, but it just, none of that really felt right. And so I freelanced from basically in school to right out of school. And so I would consider that being a little rebellious in the career and industry that I have been in for a number of years. If someone's meeting you guys for the first time, has no idea who you are, what's the elevator pitch you give them? It's a little tricky, to be honest. Oh my God. Ben has the hardest time explaining what he does. I would say I'm a spatial designer slash creative director. I started in retail design and then moved into event design, experiential design. And now I kind of do all of the above. And then Molly, you said yours is hard to describe too? There's like a couple of different ways to describe it. I am a cookbook author. I think that's pretty straightforward. I write cookbooks and recipe developer. So I spend a lot of my time developing recipes that live either on my website or in my books. I have formerly been a video host slash YouTube personality, although I've taken a little break from YouTube over the past couple of years. You've kind of built this brand that people instantly recognize, like you have kind of your own language and like Ben, you have a visual language as well. And then you guys collaborated on this house. Like when you think of your careers, do you consider yourself rebels? 
I think that we do things our way. It's never been like a conscious act of rebellion, I wouldn't say, but I do spend a lot of time thinking about how I can do things in a manner that is different from my peers. And so I suppose rebellious in the sense of not wanting to follow the norm and making sure that what I'm putting out in the world is unique and uniquely me. And that if I were to just like drop off the face of the planet, that you couldn't just like replace me with someone else and not have noticed. I love that. That's beautiful. Well, I wanted to ask because I and Ben, you kind of brought this up a little bit, but I think that choosing to work for yourself or go freelance is like a really risky and to be frank, like ballsy move. I remember when I left magazines to go freelance, I was freaking terrified. It's really scary. So I'm wondering, like when you guys decided, like, we're each going to work for ourselves how did you get over that fear? Like, I remember just like the sick feeling I had walking into my editor-in-chief's office being like, I'm going to go freelance. Like, what did you guys do to build your confidence in yourselves to do that? I think I was just naive (laughs) and just, like I mentioned before, none of the roles at any of the brands or agencies really felt right. And I had a bunch of interests and directions I wanted to go and I didn't want to lock into one. So I sort of just trusted myself and my instincts and sort of just went for it. And now we're, I don't know, 13 years later and doing okay. Yeah. I mean, I worked in-house for Bon Appetit at Condé Nast, obviously for several years. And, and during that time, Ben was freelance and I sort of like would feel his anxiety secondhand but also could feel the triumph so like as a freelancer there's always this like fear of like what the next gig is and like when one ends like is that where like your livelihood dries up but something always comes around and I sort of like went on that journey with him for so many years while I was fully employed that I knew that like at the end of the day it's okay it's all gonna be okay The big scary thing for me was like leaving a big brand that was promoting me all of the time and had like such force behind me and then being out on my own and being like, I have to create all of that force and that energy and that momentum myself. And it was really like, I have to like kick this into gear moment. Like the day that I left my job, I think like the next day I woke up and I was like, whoa, what am I doing? I need to like make a plan here and go for it. And And you did that. I feel like I've done it. Yeah. It's just a different kind of motivation that it requires. Yeah. I think like the misconception about people who carve their own paths or are rebellious is that they never get scared. Totally. Uh, Yeah, that is not true. It's not managing your fear and knowing. Well, and embracing it and harnessing it and using it to kind of propel you to the next project. Something that I always, I've been telling myself recently, just on various projects and in life is to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And like, that's the only way that I, that like you make strides in your career and just in general in life. And so I really try to remind myself of that as I move through different phases. One thing that you have to do when you go out on your own is kind of create, I mean, and you did this, created this, you're like, who is molly on her own like what does her brand look like and i know that's something that you guys both collaborated on so how did you decide once you went out on your own like what is my visual identity what is my branding look like i know that sounds unsexy but it's actually i think from a design perspective really fun 
it definitely was conscious. I don't want to pretend like it was just like, oh, and then I woke up like this, you know, like there was a lot of conversations between Ben and I. So for those of you who are listening, while Ben has his own job in design, he also sort of acts as like the creative director for anything that goes on in my world. So all the visuals that you see, whether it be in my cookbook or on my merch or any like product collaborations I do, et cetera, my website design, that all basically is some sort of trickle down from his brain. So I think that the aesthetic that you guys may all know now that represents my brand sort of started with my cookbook because it was the first piece of work that I put out as a solo entrepreneur working in this field. And Ben and I worked together really closely on that. I mean, he did all of the mood boarding and kind of like visual identity to set the tone for it and set the palette. And that sort of then established what we know as the brand, which is like the primary colors and Molly blue and like those big kind of fun graphics and all of that. And that was decision that was determined by Ben really with my cosign. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben, had you worked on a project like that before? Like a cookbook specifically or branding a person that you're so close to? <laughs> no, but I actually have a degree in graphic design, even though that's not technically what I do. So on the side, in the background, in free time, I have done a lot of branding projects and identity projects. And a lot of the spatial design that I do incorporates a visual language that's more than physical. It's, you know, there's a lot of graphic design. There's a lot of type treatments. There's a lot of blending between the physical and kind of the 2D. So I've been doing it for a very long time. And for Molly's book, we started that before she was on her own. And it's just, you know, Molly's got such a big personality and so fun and bubbly and unique that it wasn't that hard to identify a design direction for her. And, and it just kind of grew from, from the book and into all the other facets that, that is Molly today. I always hear about couples who work together and I'm always like, how does that work? And I'm curious to know how when you have two creatives who are in a relationship, like how do you give constructive feedback and then like still make it through dinner, happy with each other? Like this is a relationship podcast now. I mean, we didn't always make it through dinner. We'd have our, you know, ups and downs and quarrels, but I think we've set up systems now that we've been working together for, I don't know, three years or so, that we know how to approach a project. And I like to ask Molly to give me a brief now mm-hmm. instead and of a timeline. just <laughs> <laughs> instead of just like busting into my office and being like, hey babes, can you do this like Instagram graphic for me? I need it in like seven minutes. And I'm like, <laughs> I am on a call right now. We're, we like try and schedule time now to be like, okay, can we block off this time on Wednesday to work on the creative direction for blank together or whatever it is. But also I think in order to be able to give each other sound feedback and have it land well requires a lot of mutual respect for one another, which I do believe we have and and trust and trust. Yeah. And knowing that like the feedback's coming from a good place and not a malicious one ever. And there's no one in the world whose opinion matters more to me when it comes to food and the way things taste and my recipes 
than Ben. And because he sees me and he can read a dish and know whether it's like true to me. It's hard to explain and hard to understand maybe if you're not in our relationship, but there's been many times when I've been working on recipes like for my cookbooks or what have you. And I, I will always, I always make food for dinner, like just as part of my development process and he'll sit down and taste it and like think about it for a second and then just be like, uh, this isn't exactly you. Something's not right here. And could even go as far into it as being like, I don't think that the celery salad like is exactly what you meant to do here with this. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're so right. Like it's all, he's always spot on because it's like easier to see that when you're like outside of the moment. So anyway, all that to say, I really, really value his opinion food wise and not just design wise. Obviously he's incredible designer and has helped me develop my own identity there but it's really good at helping me stay in my lane in terms of like taste and flavor and making sure my food really represents me well I did want to ask you Ben because you have worked with some epic people who I would consider I mean I would consider Kanye rebel but is there something that you've learned that you have maybe like incorporated into your own process now yeah I mean one thing that I've learned is just to love my process. I think for a long time, I was like, I want to set up time in the morning and do like two hours of drawing and then two hours of research and then break for lunch and take a walk and then get back into it and do my meetings. But like, that's just not how my brain works. That's not how my process works. And although I take a crazy winding path to get to a solution, I am trying to learn to love that process and not veer into a different lane or veer into a different process that's not actually me. And I think a lot of the great people that I've worked with, whether they are scheduled or whether they are the opposite of scheduled, they um, they love and appreciate and embrace their own processes and they don't try to change it. So that's been a big learning um, recently and not, you know, learning to love the way that my brain works and not trying to change it to fit into some sort of norm that is like a nine to five situation. And I think that actually goes back to why I've been, I was freelance or I am freelance since day one is I just, I have ideas at midnight or two in the morning and I'll text people, I'll email people, I'll do a drawing you know, while Molly's sleeping. And it's just like, I can't just put that into a Monday through Friday schedule. It's funny because food is kind of the same, or at least for me, my experience working food has been really similar in that, like, it would be really convenient if I could just say, okay, on Mondays and Tuesdays from 10 to two, I'm working on recipes. And I just know that like from 10 to two, I'm going to be inspired. Like the, you can't force inspiration and there's truly nothing worse to feeling to me than like sitting down to try to develop a recipe, having no inspiration and trying to sort of like muscle my way to an end. And I have really learned to also embrace that and not force creativity when it's not there in cooking. And I feel like that's a similarity or like a parallel that I see between the two of us. 
Yeah, there's nothing worse than like in my own experience, like being called into my boss's office, like we need a headline, go. And I'm like, I was just somewhere I'm like, what? I can't do it on demand. It's really hard. Totally. Do you have a store in your life that whenever you walk through its doors, you become transported, inspired, and overwhelmed with pure joy? For me, that place is anthropology. Since college, I've bought candles, pillows, and dinnerware, literally you name it, from their cool, hyper-curated mix, and those are the pieces I've cherished for years. Nowadays, when I look at my vintage sofa and see the pink, lavender, and mustard-colored fuzzy anthro pillow on top of it, I feel the same giddy feeling I did when I first found it at Anthropology's Chelsea Market store. That's the amazing thing about Anthropology: It's nostalgic and forward-looking all at once. And as the holiday season approaches, I can't wait to wow my guests with only at Anthro pieces for hosting, celebrating, and entertaining. I'm clearly not alone. Anthro has hundreds of stores, millions of social followers, and a website that has new arrivals literally every day. Get inspired and start shopping at anthropology.com. I want to talk about what I consider your biggest collaboration to date, your home. It is so stunning, but I think one of the things that I think about when I think of rebels who create is that like a rebel doesn't care what anyone thinks. Like, do you guys care what people think when they come into your home? Yeah, I mean, we care, but we also just did what we wanted to do. Like, we, we I don't care think- most how we feel when we walk in the door 100%. I mean, yeah. I don't think we made any decision based on anyone other than no, ourselves. No, no. Yeah, and we created a place that was ours, that is our sanctuary. We, we bought a place that was a little bit outside the city so we could have a little bit more space. And it's for us. And, you know, although I did design it for hosting and inviting people over and having family over, like we are here every single day, especially, you know, since the pandemic, we work here, we live here, like it's for us. And it's our favorite place in the world. And it's the best place in the world. So yes, when you come, I will care what you think, but, um, (laughs) but also, you know, sorry if you don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you guys had a cool opportunity and correct me if I'm wrong, but you, the house was being renovated when you bought it and you were like, wait, stop. We have ideas. Well, I don't even know if we had ideas at that point, but we were just I like, did. this property is so special. No, and... that's not what happened. What happened oh. is we saw the property, a friend tipped us off and was like, there's this house like up in this cul-de-sac and it seems like there's work being done to it. I don't know whether it's being flipped or sold or what's happening. And so we went and like did a little site visit and saw that it was mid flip and was being flipped in a really atrocious manner. But I looked around and I was like, this property has so much potential. Like I can, I just felt it in my soul. And I was like, I think this is our house. I think this is our house. So we just kept coming back to it, visiting it. And like little by little, I think Ben warmed to the idea of being like, all right, I guess I'm just going to rip it all out and redo it all. It's just not the house that we thought we would buy, but it actually turned out to be like a really awesome opportunity for you to just go nuts and and design into the space. I think it's really hard to see the before and imagine the after. So did you guys have like what Pinterest boards were you on or like what what was on your mood board, Ben? 
So it's a single story ranch style home and it's pretty country up here. Like all of our neighbors have horses and it's either ranch or mid-century up here. So those beautiful Neutra homes, Lautner homes, all of those were on the mood board. And then it was sort of just figuring out how to incorporate local designs, local materials, sustainable materials into this space and just open the place up because it was the guy before dropped the ceiling and it was dark and you couldn't see out the back and you can see up the mountains now when you're kind of in the back of the house and we put sliding glass doors back there. So it was really just about opening it up, adding light, adding skylights and just pulling stuff out. Yeah. You guys did something I consider very rebellious and you chose kind of a theme for your home. How do you decide, okay, we're going to have it be food themed and we're going to have a butter kitchen and we're going to have a honeycomb bathroom and a Caesar salad bathroom. And how do you do it while maintaining your chicness? Because it really does. I think food is just so naturally a part of our life together. And it is such a natural inspiration. And it's sort of like, it's the way I see things. So like, I would say like, I don't see colors, I see food. So when we were thinking about Ben was like, what do you want in your kitchen? Like, what is your kitchen? What are we doing? And we kind of, as we were working our way through it, instead of saying, I want my kitchen to be monochromatic, the color of pale yellow, I said, I want it to be monochromatic and the color of butter, because that's how I relate to the world. And so that's why it became the butter kitchen. It was inspired by the color of butter, which someone else might see through a totally different lens. And I think that's kind of the way that food crept into this house. It wasn't like we were like, okay, cool, let's make a food house. We're going to have this bathroom and that bathroom. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't like, I don't think we intended to approach it in from like a gimmicky way where it was like every room has to be a food, but more so like that's just the language that we use and that I use. And that's like a way for me to be able to relate to what he's doing. So I think like, for example, we have a Caesar salad bathroom, which if anybody knows me at all, they know I'm positively obsessed with Caesar salads. And so it was so exciting to me to think about how can we slash how can Ben design a room that is when you walk in, no one would say like, oh my God, it's a Caesar salad. But if you know that it's a Caesar salad, it like there's so much more depth to it. And um, Ben did an amazing job bringing that all to life. Yeah. Ben, yeah. how did you interpret that direction? Like if someone said, I'm feeling butter, like how did you interpret that? If I was just designing my own house just for me, it would be warm, natural tones and a shitload of wood. But fortunately, Molly pulled me out of that and was like, I need some color in the house. So it was really just looking at kind of the different tones of the food, the movement of the food and figuring out what materials made sense for the different areas. And I don't know, maybe this was a little sneaky of me. I put I mean, most of the food themed rooms are bathrooms, so they're they're a little bit hidden. And I think they're great reveals, which is so important, which is not just showing all your cards when you first step into the house. There's kind of all of these 
different places to walk through and open doors and have sort of this moments of excitement. And I think one of the rooms that's not done yet is the powder room um, off of the kitchen. And it's sort of honeycomb and sort of butterscotchy. And I think that that might be my favorite room, but it's going to be, you know, it's going to be for our guests and they open this door and it's going to be so warm and comforting and calming. And just this moment that they didn't expect when they were in the butter kitchen. Molly, do you have a favorite room or aspect? Obviously I'm partial to the sea cell bathroom because it's kind of my baby, but there is a favorite part of the house, which isn't food themed per se. It's just part of our, great room as we call it, which is the bar that the built-in bar that Ben designed, which I just find myself lingering at maybe too often, but it is so beautiful. It's this dug fur bar, but it goes all the way up to the ceiling to meet the pitch. And we have that same like honeycomb colored onyx is the countertop of the bar. And then there's this like warm, smoky kind of mirror behind it and it's lit. And so it just kind of gives you like, you know, when you go into like a really vibey like French restaurant and there's like all the beautiful liquor bottles and alcohols and everything up and they're all backlit and they all have mirrors, like being able to have that experience in our homes. I feel like we love to like go out for a cocktail and like sit at a bar. We like some of our like first moments in our relationship were were those experiences. And so now having a little taste of that in our home is just so delicious to me. Did you guys meet in New York? Yeah, in Brooklyn. So are there like nods to that in the home? A little bit. I mean, definitely that bar. We maybe frequented a few too many when we were first (laughs) dating. But it's really a California house. It is. And I wanted it to feel like it had sort of always been here. It was built in uh, 1949 and then had uh, way too many add-ons and remodels and stuff. So it feels it's 99% California and LA. And then, yeah, there's definitely some subtle hints of uh, New York in here, but for the most part, it's, it's Southern California. Yeah. And it's also where you guys both work, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did that come into the design? Like I know maybe for the kitchen where there are specific aspects that needed to be there for filming videos or showing people yeah, how to cook. I mean, the kitchen is not only the place that I spend the most time just like in terms of working on recipes and like doing my day-to-day job, but also entertaining. And as I'm sure most of you experience when you go over to people's homes, like for whatever reason, everyone just gathers around a kitchen. Like it's just the centerpiece of the home. But also part of my job is to be on camera and to do photo shoots and to host videos. And so we designed a kitchen that basically, I mean, if you were to sort of like subtract the rest of the house and just walk into a raw space, it looks like a set. And so it's pretty much built for shooting where we centered a big island where I can talk to camera and then um, have the stove behind us and make sure that there's like enough space to shoot in from either side and that it frames up really beautifully and looks like beautiful, you know, from a camera angle perspective. So, yeah, I mean, when I was designing it, I primarily designed it from front on 
like all of my drawings were from camera point of view. So if you weren't shooting in there, I would probably have put more glass, more windows. We had to make some concessions just because of lighting. And even as it is, like we, we have skylights up in, in the roof that are in the ceiling that let light in down into the kitchen. And I was shooting yesterday and we had to take like a 20 minute pause because the skylight was just like blinding right on me. But it was a balance of being like, this is a shooting kitchen, but this is also our home. And we want there to be a lot of beautiful natural light in there. And we don't like, it can't be just a set. There has to be like a middle ground. I think we did a pretty good job figuring that out where it's like cozy and it feels like a dream kitchen, but also (laughs) kind of feels like a set. As this was all coming together, what was like, I guess, where did you guys butt heads in the design or where did you guys like, what was the stickiest point? I mean, probably color. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like a colorful person and Ben's a neutrals guy. And I feel like we were able to incorporate color in a way that's not obnoxious or won't get tired over time. But definitely, you know, there are moments where, I mean, we got into a pretty large fight, honestly, where I was just like, can you like enough with the Doug fur? Like everything's Doug fur. I think like you clung to certain materials that like speak to you. And we had to sort of figure out how to find a middle ground that also spoke to me. Marble Onyx was a great place where we like found a lot of Mm -hmm. joint inspiration. Just like we went to a marble yard um, looking for like one countertop. And all of a sudden we were like, whoa, like let's do whatever the color moments are in the house. Let's do them in Onyx or marble or like some kind of awesome looking stone. And that's where we were able to bring in a lot of color. And so the Caesar salad bathroom has green marble and the honeycomb bathroom has the honey marble. And then we have this like amazing deep red onyx in another bathroom, which is like flops between being known as like the prosciutto bathroom or the ribeye bathroom, because it's basically slabs of deep red marble that have been broken into like a mosaic pattern and then laid into the floor. And the way the pattern looks on the floor with the grout in between basically just looks like a bunch of like ribeye steaks or slices of prosciutto. I was going for more of like a Gioponte, like Italian thing. But Molly's like, yep, that's prosciutto. Yeah, we're going, we're we're bringing it back to food. (laughs) I love all the references. (laughs) Molly, it seems like you got like, Ben, you built a a Molly blue sofa. Mm-hmm. It seems like. That's so true. That was a huge win for me. Yeah. I mean, she wanted everything to be blue. Um, That's not true. I don't <laughs> want to live in a blue house. That's insane. I know, uh, you know, who knows? But yeah, we found this beautiful corduroy material. Actually, shout outs to Leah Ring from another human who helped source materials. So it's a, it's a Raf Simmons corduroy. It's just it's- perfect. It's the best. Dang, you guys. Are you guys people who, like, as you're putting the home together, were you like, let's look on Craigslist for some vintage? Or, you know, were you Facebook marketplacing? A little bit. Actually, one of the proud hacks I have is from Home Depot, which is this faux wood accordion door that is over our linen closet that I also want to do in our bedroom. So not so much on the Craigslist, but more on the like Home Depot. How much was it to get to do this? 60 bucks. We love it. I mean, it's we one love of it. our favorite things. It's like 
plastic and kind of crappy, but like it's so in like shitty, a retro fun way. It's great. In a cool way. Yeah. I love that. I know that, you know, things are still coming together with the house, but is there something that you learned that you're like, whoa, next time we decide we want to reno a room, like we will not do that again? Oh, uh, I know. I wonder she if you're knows. thinking what I'm thinking. She knows. <laughs> I would say do not purchase glass windows and doors until your designs yeah. are firm. The first contractor who we were, were working with basically was like, there's a glass shortage and everything's super delayed, super delayed. So like we have to get your windows and doors like ordered ASAP. And so we knew we wanted these big sliding glass doors on the backside of the house to look up at the mountains because it had previously been completely shut off and was such a waste of that space. And so I think the very first thing we did on this house was like go to a window supplier and like order the biggest doors we possibly could because we were just like, <laughs> we want it huge. And like, if this is what's going to slow us down, then we're ordering them now. And then, and in retrospect, like the proportions are maybe they're a little funk, a little and bit it funk has kept me up at night many, 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 many nights. I've like, learned to live with it and love it. I mm. found him just standing there staring at it many times. So yeah, I would say make sure that like your design for your space is firm before you start placing order for high ticket price items like glass sliding doors. For me, it's like this was our first house and that flaw is sort of representative of that. And I'm not mad about the fact that our doors are like slightly larger than they should be. Yeah, no, I mean, it's better than small. It's a good problem to have. But yeah, (laughs) I mean, this is the first home I've ever done. And the process is so different from any of my projects and working with structural engineers and architects and the contractor and this contractor saying one thing, this contractor saying another thing. We want to, we're paying a mortgage and paying rent because we're not living in it. I'm just like, we got to get this going. But it, yeah, it was a huge learning experience. I think the only other element that sort of has been something that we worked on most recently is that, you know, obviously once the house is done, you have to fill it, right? And we moved from a 800 square foot apartment where we had a couch and a table, those were basically our belongings and maybe a bed, into a much larger space that we had to figure out how to fill. And it started out on Craigslist and on all of these, all of these like antique sites looking for furniture. And then he started to design his own furniture. But it's been pretty incredible because now a lot of the furniture in our house is just one of one unique original Ben Willett designs, which I love. Yeah, I mean, for a lot of my projects, I mean, I design furniture and objects and places for people to sit and lounge, but they're all very specific to each project. Um, So for the past, I don't know, six plus years, I've been designing my own furniture, but just sort of on my computer. And now that we have the space, I'm able to put them into the physical world. It's, um, you know, these pieces are specific to this house, but yeah, I mean, it's been a really great joy to take these drawings from the computer that maybe I did six years ago and have them be built. Well, that's actually an amazing segue. Thank you. I wanted to ask what your next acts of rebellion will be. What do you have in the works? we got a lot of things in the works. I just feel like 
good design custom furniture is really hard to make. Like it's really hard for me to make it and I do it for a living. It's expensive. It's time consuming. It's hard to know the right proportions for your house. And I just want to be able to give that to people who just don't, who aren't designers, who aren't furniture makers and, you know, just have that be something accessible for people to have beautiful pieces comfortable pieces, pieces that just, I think space can be a really healing thing for people. It really is for me. And putting these objects into people's homes, I just feel like it it just needs to happen. And so I think the rebellious part of that is just not doing it from a capitalist point of view, but more from a compassionate point of view and giving these designs just to the world and giving the dimensions, giving the 3D models, giving the drawings, creating a network of builders, whether you're in Helsinki or South Africa or wherever, and just enabling people to make their own custom furniture. I love that. I can't wait to see it. Molly, what's your next act of rebellion? I don't know that it's rebellious, but I guess I'm just trying to do 1 million things. I'm trying to juggle as many things as I possibly can at one time. I'm writing my second book right now, which I haven't announced to the world. So this will be like a sneaky way for people to hear that, but working on some maybe YouTube kind of stuff. And I know that I need to get back on camera in a more regular way. So stay tuned for that. I want to play a game of Never Have I Ever It's usually pretty fun and painless, so get ready. Just tell me if you have or haven't after I read the prompt. Okay. Uh, Never have I ever hung my own wallpaper. Never. Never have I ever spent way too much on a vintage piece. I think I know the answer. thousand percent have done that. Well, what you were saying about vintage in LA, I feel like is true for New York as well. So I, I feel that. Yeah, I've had to like... Seen something on the sidewalk that they haven't even tagged yet, given my name, and been like second in line. It's insane. insane. Never have I ever fought with a significant other over a decor item. Oh, for sure. Every- yes, I have. Oh, yes, she has. Yes, we have. <laughs> yes, we will fight over furniture <laughs> forever. Never have I ever re gifted a candle. I think I've done that. Yeah. Unless it's Lolabo, because <laughs> that's the only scent that we really yeah. like. Never have I ever dated someone for their apartment. I feel like you probably have dated people for their... That is very rude. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not. Never have I ever bought a neon bar sign. Oh, guilty. <laughs> not, not bought. We got a custom one made that says Real Butter that was this... It's from this old theater in upstate New York where Molly grew up. So it's sentimental and it's not like it it's says like St. Paul girl or something. That they hung over their popcorn machine at this movie theater that I grew up going to. And it says real butter right over the popcorn machine. And Ben is a popcorn fanatic. And when we first went into that movie theater, he was like, oh my God, that sign. And this was just to be clear, seven or eight years ago. So forgive us. We did get it. He got it made for me as a no, gift. You got it or made I got it made for him as a gift. And but it yikes. has since been retired because yeah, it's in the neons are neons, as we know. And I know. There's no I, place um, for neons in this home. 
Uh, yeah, no, I got one at Housing Works that I, I'm guessing is from a milk bar because it was like pink and it just said cake, cake, cake. Yeah. Mm. And it looked so cool at the time. And then when I moved, my boyfriend accidentally kicked it and broke it. And I was like, yeah. you know what? He, it was an accident, but I feel like it happened at the right time. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. You're the best. Thank I really, you. really appreciate it. Was so it. Fun. When I found out that I was doing this podcast, my one and really only request in the whole process was that Shadi Al Hindi, the head of IT at our parent company, Recurrent, read the closing credits. And I know that might sound funny, but Shadi has a voice that I swear could sue the hundred crying babies. And I know this because sometimes when my computer's not working, I am that crying baby. And just hearing him talk instantly lowers my blood pressure. You will hear what I mean in just a second. I'm so excited to share Shadi and his beautiful voice with the world. Take it away, Shadi. Hello, I'm Shadi Al-Hindi. And contrary to popular belief, I am not a voiceover actor, yet at least, but I am the Vice President of Technology at Recurrent, Domino's parent company. Julie's asked me to read the credits to the podcast you've just heard. I blindly said yes, so I think that makes me a rebel too. And here we are. Design Time, The Rebellious Ones is hosted by Julie Fadnell and produced by Ali Alquiza, with special thanks to Lindsay Mather, Britt Ashcraft, Claire Urshishon, Michaela Klein, Kim Gray, Lindsay DeSimone, and Maria Luna. Our chief content officer is Kate Berry. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. And I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, Vice President of Technology at Recurrent Ventures. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week, right here on Design Time, The Rebellious Ones.